good start. Um, so last week we talked about uh, building data science teams and uh, recruiting data scientists. Uh, but today the topic is slightly different. So we'll talk about recruitment process, but from the candidate's point of view. And we have a special guest today, Luke. So you probably know Luke as a podcast host. Usually you hear Luke asking questions, but today the situation is different. Luke takes the guest seat. And uh, Luke is not only a podcast host, he is also a recruiter. He is a co-founder of uh, Neural AI, which is a company that specializes in recruiting AI specialists, data scientists, machine learning engineers, and others. And today, Luke will share his experience with us and tell us how data scientists and other data professionals can stand out during the recruitment process. Um, hi, Luke. Welcome. Hi. Thanks uh, so much for inviting me on the show, Alexi. This feels very weird being on the, the other side of the, uh, the fence now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks for coming. Um, so, uh, Luke, uh, let's start with your background. Um, so, can, can you tell us uh, how you started your career? Um, like how you got into AI and how it led to co-founding your uh, your own recruitment company. Sure. Um, so look, um, firstly, thanks for inviting me on the show, Alexi. But um, hi to everyone who's joined. So as Alexi said, my name is Luke. I'm, I'm the co-founder of Neural AI. Um, I, I guess the history and the background is <clears throat> I, I've been recruiting in the data and analytics space for probably close to 10 years now. And um, historically, that started as, you know, the kind of traditional BI and analytics space. And naturally, as things became more prevalent in the industry, like advanced analytics and data science, and machine learning and deep learning, you know, my career kind of transitioned with it. Right. Um, but I think like most people in recruitment, you know, 99% of us all fell into it. And then, you know, most people fall out of love with it. But, you know, I've stuck it out for 10 years now. And uh, to be honest, I think neural come around from a couple of different perspectives, but um, one of those perspectives was uh, I was just about to turn 30 and uh, I, I had two choices that I could have made, right? So I could either continue working for businesses that I have to become a part of and embrace their values and, you know, embrace their processes and the way that they work, or, you know, I build something that kind of represents what I believe and, you know, what I, I feel about how recruitment should be done. So naturally I went for the second option and, um, you know, that led us to, to, found, to found Neural. Um, but for me, I think the second perspective, uh, perspective is, you know, it, it, as most of you are probably aware, there's a general kind of consensus about what the recruitment industry is. And, you know, I really wanted to create a business that kind of counterbalanced the bad reputation that a lot of recruitment consultants have. So, you know, I wanted to create a business that A, is built on the foundation of providing value to the actual community that we recruit for um, and try and live by something that is, you know, make uh, deposits into that industry, not just withdrawals. Um, so, you know, as Alexi said, I've run a podcast. Um, I'm looking into running uh, AI events like similar to what this is. Um, and ultimately, I wanted to create more of a community effort rather than, hey, we've got jobs, you've got candidates, or you know, vice versa, you've got a CV, we've got some jobs. You know, I think that's very, very old school and very transactional. For me, as I say, you know, Neural was built on the back of wanting to create something different that is value and community driven rather than just, hey, do you want to work at a new business? Um, so yeah, we started in uh, early 2020. So 
probably not the best time to start a business in the midst of a global pandemic. But, um, you know, I think the value proposition that we've got and um, the, the specialism in data um, and artificial intelligence has, has really hit the mark. So, um, yeah, that's a bit about me and a bit about my background. I hope that gives you a good snapshot. <laughs> Yeah, and, and indeed, uh, like what you said about bad reputation of uh, uh, recruiters, uh, I think everyone can uh, agree to that, that sometimes uh, uh, they just come out of nowhere uh, calling. But uh, I can tell you that Luke is different and this is uh, and this is really great that what you're doing, like all these podcasts and uh, uh, the plans for events. I think that, that that is really awesome. It's not just a cold call out of nowhere, but actually like a community around that that's uh, that's really great and thank you look for doing that um, yeah but uh, coming back to your uh, main work as a recruiter um like i, I guess uh, in data science maybe uh, i don't know if it's different from usual uh, developer positions or maybe analysts but i know that uh, there are not not so many good candidates and uh, yeah so typically it's quite difficult to close positions right so sure. what does usually, uh, what does it involve to close a position? What are the typical steps, uh, how, how you go around that? Yeah, um, <clears throat> it is definitely more difficult than your average kind of development role because, um, you know, you've probably experienced this as well. You know, if you speak to a hundred different people or a hundred different businesses and say, oh, what is a data scientist? Um, you're probably going to get a hundred different answers. So I think one of the big challenges for us is, every single position that we work on is quite different from the last right and every single business that we work with has a definition of what a machine learning engineer does or what a data scientist does or what x y and z does so i think one of the big problems about or the big challenges of the work that we do is that every single company is different right um and that in itself is a challenge because you need to first understand the problems and the different challenges that those individual businesses are facing and it's difficult to kind of group stuff together when everyone's got a different perspective on stuff right so i think you know i can't remember the last time i worked in an easy position you know i don't think there's such a thing in data science and ai community especially at a senior level um but for me i think our process breaks down into like to just give you a real quick bullet point for what we do um it breaks down into six key areas so number one is role definition so typically we'll work with businesses to help them uh define the actual positions within the business um, and, you know, a lot of companies still struggle with that because it's still such a new undefined market. So, you know, we help companies define the actual positions that they're looking for and offer guidance in terms of um, what's achievable and what's not. Um, secondly, um, we are heavily network focused in terms of the, uh, the candidates that we typically provide. So um, as a business, we don't advertise. Um, we, we kind of do a little bit, but that's not our main source of, um, you know, candidate attraction. So um, for us, the second point is we would market map um, the talent pools of people that they're potentially looking for, both from our network and from a headhunting perspective. So essentially, it'll be the people that we know and the people that we don't know. Um, thirdly, <clears throat> we would put together a long and short list. So a long list is essentially uh, the people that we think could be okay for the role or has quite a lot of crossover. Um, and then the shortlist of the people that we spoke to, we know that are right for that position. Um, we then deliver the CVs and present them to the business. 
um, following that, we would manage that process of recruitment. So um, that goes pretty much, it, you've got to think of us as like your, uh, your interview buddy. <laughs> That's probably a really bad way to describe it, but um, you know, we manage the process from end to end, both from a client and candidate perspective. So um, interview preparation, feedback, we deliver that, we help you prepare, um, we highlight concerns or positives in the process. Um, and, you know, if there are problems or challenges, you know, we tend to bring that to the table and we, we try and overcome them with both candidate and client. Um, and then lastly, uh, when we get to that stage, um, you know, we manage the closing of the process. So both from an uh, often negotiation perspective, but also from resignation and any kind of problems that come up in the process. So um, <clears throat> what I wouldn't say we are is a we're not a traditional recruitment company whereby we do everything and uh, you know we do uh, development cloud uh, data uh, product you know we don't do that um, the clients will typically work on our uh, work with us on singular positions or you know two or three positions but they'll be on an exclusive basis um, and we will be essentially an extension of that company that we're working with um, and that means we run the process from full end to end Okay. And uh, usually how many candidates you speak with? Uh, like, uh, I'm, what I'm trying to ask is uh, how wide is the panel? Like how many people you have on this short list? How many people you, uh, you talk to, you speak or you get on the phone and then uh, to get just one, to, to just close one position? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that it's it's so different from position to position, right? And because as I say, we work on those kind of singular positions, um, some roles that we work on could be in the hundreds. Um, there's a role that I'm working on at the moment where I'm doing an, a European wide search and I've spoke to, or I've, sorry, I've long listed probably about 25 candidates across the whole of Europe. So it's really, really vast from, um, you know, 10 to 20 candidates up to two 300 candidates depending on the type of position um what i would say though is you know i mentioned this earlier we don't we don't actively advertise like that's not our key we don't say right we we advertise lots of positions and stuff so we don't deal with probably the volume of candidates that say you guys are no experts right um like to give you an example one of my clients in munich for one position for an AI engineer, they received, <clears throat> I think it was like 1,300 CVs. Um, we, we would never look at that amount of CVs um, ever. Yeah. Um, so we're not volume, but I'd say on average, we probably look between 10 and 20 CVs a day, something like that. Um, and that's across like all positions that we're working on. Well, 10, 20 CVs per day is still uh, quite a few uh, CVs to look at. Of course, uh, yeah. it's not uh, the, high, the volume that we have to deal with, like our recruiters have to deal with, but it's still quite uh, quite a lot of CVs that you need to look at uh, every day. Mm. And in this CVs, think we, um, oh, we, we uh, you know, everyone that we work with, I'd say probably 90, 95% of the people that we work with, we are approaching. So um, <clears throat> it might not necessarily just be a CV, but it might be um, setting up conversations with people on LinkedIn and stuff like that. So um, I'd say profiles in general are probably be between 10 and 20. Uh, between 10 and 20. 
Um, but that might be going through someone's LinkedIn or an actual profile or X, one, Z. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, oh, what in this, uh, like in these 10, 20 profiles, what uh, does usually get your attention? Like, uh, what do you look at uh, typically? Like when you say, okay, I really have to call this candidate when you know that, uh, okay, this candidate is really good versus, okay, I'm not sure, uh, maybe I'll talk to this person later when I first uh, uh, deal with uh, these candidates. Like what, yeah. what is it? Um, so I think, um, so when we spoke about this before, I tried to look back at some of the old CVs that I've been like, yes, they look amazing. Um, and I will try and substantiate all of these points so it kind of makes it really easily understandable. But um, I think if I start from the kind of first opening of a CV, um, and again, just as a disclaimer for anyone who's listening right now, um, this is just one person's view and it's again, very subjective, right? Um, but I, I'm a bit of a sucker for good design from an artistic perspective, um, because I think that that is something that your reader will see before they start reading your CV. So, you know, I try and live by something which is your interview starts as soon as they open your CV and before they start reading your CV the first thing that they see is how well you've designed your CV actually is right so I always comment when I can clearly see that someone has taken the time to format and design their CV in a way that is um, really attractive um, not to say that that is the be all and end all, but I think, you know, this is kind of the representation of you, right? So if I open the CV and it looks great, I'm instantly interested about what's on the CV. Whereas if I open the CV and think, mm, that looks pretty awful, um, it, you know, it kind of sets a negative tone before someone's even started reading. So from my perspective, I think design is a really big part of that. But um, if we're talking about content specifically, um, for me, it breaks down into three key areas that I instantly look for and try and tick boxes in my own head. So again, you know, this is a disclaimer, but you know, businesses pay us to find specific people. So we're probably a lot more critical on the profiles that we're looking at. Um, and I think there's definitely a difference between being an internal talent acquisition, the headhunter. Um, but look, the, the three things that are there. So number one is I'll instantly look for um, the crossover between the business and the role that they're applying for with the company that they're currently working in. Now, the reason that I say that is not because it's a name game or it's not because it's all about the business that you work for, but it's primarily to do with the industry challenges that that business is facing and how well will you be able to actually understand those industry challenges. So for example, if you're, uh, I don't know, a data scientist at Audi and you're applying for a data science position at BMW, um, you're instantly recognized more because you understand, or you should understand the industry that you're working in and the conversation that you can have internally um, with the business that you're applying for will be a lot higher than someone who doesn't understand that industry. So again, this is not a name game, but it, it definitely does add value to your CV when I say, right, I'm looking for someone for, I don't know, BMW or Zalando or Adidas or an autonomous driving startup. And the first thing that I see is that you're working in a very, very similar business. 
So that's point one. Um, point number two is, and this is kind of, I do this in conjunction, right? Because it's not just all about that business. It's mainly to do with the use cases and the actual projects that you're working on right now. So, um, you know, I, I tend to test or I tend to look for how close or how far you are away from the actual use cases and problems that you're going to be working on. Because again, you know, the clients are, the clients that we we'll typically work with, they come to us with specific roles working on specific things. So my first thing is, okay, cool. How close are you from a business perspective? Secondly, how close are you from a use case perspective? And like how much crossover is actually there across those two things? Because if those two things aren't there, it's actually really difficult. You know, maybe other headhunters have got a different spin on this, but, um, you know, for me, I think that culturally you could be great from an alignment perspective and you probably could be good for that business. But, you know, from a headhunting perspective, so if we were working together right now, Alexi, and you said to me, hey, I need this, 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 and this, and the profile that I gave to you in response to that didn't have any of that but I said but you'll really like this person mm -hmm. and culturally they'll fit in your feedback would be that's not what we're looking for mm -hmm. so again those are the first two things but then lastly um, I do look for that kind of cultural and industry alignment so this isn't typically like the business per se but it's kind of like the type of business that you're working for so if you're working for a huge global um financial services business and you're applying for a 10-man startup company there are going to be some huge different cultural differences between those two businesses right and that for me I'm like are they going to get that industry and vice versa right if you if you've had a startup uh, career are you going to get working in a big financial services industry and you know nine times out of ten there's so much um there's so much difference between those industries um, or, or businesses that it, it usually doesn't work, right? Um, so that's kind of the first thing that I look for. And that's the first thing that kind of pops up. But uh, I, I suppose on top of that, um, and one of the things that really gets me about CBs is sometimes I'll open a profile and their tech stack overview and their, like, their profile, not their project, looks amazing, right? And they've got every tech on there every programming language, TensorFlow, PyTorch, all different use cases. And then I actually look at the projects that they've been working on and those two things are not linked. So it's kind of just like buzzword bingo on their CV, but the actual projects and the um, you know, things they've actually done don't link to that, right? So for me, I think the second point is the, and this is really obvious, but your, your projects are related to the tech stack that you've got there. And, um, You'll be surprised about how many profiles don't do that. Um, and, you know, your your CV should be a representation of what you're doing, right? So if you are if you claim to know X, Y, and Z, you should be able to back that up with specific examples of projects and be able to illustrate that in your CV. Um, Just to, to clarify, like sure. projects, you mean not necessarily projects on GitHub, but projects, again, could be on CV, on portfolio, just, uh, you know, a list of projects that uh, this person uh, uh, has made, has done previously, right? Yeah. So um, I think it's both, really. It depends on what level you're coming in. You know, again, and this is the difficult thing, it, it, it's all very singular, um, you know, 
that might be the case for one person, but there might be a more junior candidate trying to make a break into the industry. And then like, you know, I would want to see what GitHub projects or what, um, you know, personal projects you've worked on, which would again, illustrate that technical experience and that understanding, right? But if you're more senior, I, if you if you tell me that you know X, you've got to show me where you've done that or how you've used that, right? Um, so yeah, that's the second main point is that, you know, I would want to see the projects that you've worked on are a representation of the tech stack that you think, uh, you know, the, you say you understand. And then lastly, um, I think this breaks down into kind of three key categories, which is tenure, common themes and growth. So what I mean by that is, I would want, if I look at CV, I would want to see that someone had had a good amount of time in the businesses that they'd worked in and not jumped from place to place for an extra 5K or, um, you know, just a, a new change of scenery, right? So as a, you know, a headhunter, I think, right, are you someone who's going to, you know, carefully choose the right industry and the right um, uh, opportunity for you, but are you actually going to stay there? Um, and then secondly, the common themes and growth, it's like, well, you know, are you, have you got a purpose in terms of your career right now, right? So have you done a huge amount of broad projects and you kind of go from one data science job to another, or have you got, right, I'm really interested in this sector or industry or type of client, and that's where I'm really going. Um, and growth, obviously, you know, I would want to see someone progress in their career. So if you're a data scientist now, but you was a data scientist five years ago, my first question would be, you know, why haven't you progressed? Um, and, you know, run me through that, right? And I know there's gonna be some examples of people that just wanna do that one particular position, um, but, you know, I would wanna understand those kind of points. So, uh, yeah, that's what I typically look for. Sorry if I, I just threw yeah. loads of information yeah. out there. Maybe but, just yeah. I'll let me try to summarize what you said, and then you'll tell me if uh, I got it right. So first you look at the design, right? So just, it shouldn't be completely, uh, you know, uh, bad. Like, I don't know how to say, but like uh, <laughs> tasteless, maybe. <laughs> like just a bit of creativity will not hurt your CV, right? Just to, yeah. you know, uh, at least uh, get your attention, right? But then you look at the uh, industry where the candidate works. So it should be ideally as close as possible to the industry of your client. Uh, also, it uh, involves like it also um, involves uh, cultural fit in a way that uh, you know it's uh, if your position is in a startup, it should also be uh, like ideal candidate who have experience working at a startup, right? Uh, right? And then you also look at projects, and then uh, what is important in projects is uh, that they are linked to actual skills. So it's not just a, a bunch of buzzwords on CV, but actually for each project, uh, it's clear for you how these skills were used right and then finally you look at uh, people who don't uh, jump too often from position to position um, so who, who have some sort of focus maybe if i can put it this mm. way um, mm. and uh, yeah and also you look at career progression right yeah Did they get it right yeah i think with just on the use cases um you know for me you know, you can work on recommendation systems in Spotify or get your guides and then also work on, you know, recommendation systems in Zalando, right? So mm -hmm. it's not, it, it's not just all, it's about the, it's about finding balance between understanding those kinds of industries 
um, and understanding the use cases that those industries would typically work on, right? Um, because that's the, I think the thing with data science is it's not necessarily, you know, it's about understanding the business problem to be able to apply your skills to solve those problems, right? Um, so for me, it's kind of a combination between thinking, right, do you know the industry and do you know the use cases or do you know the industry but might have slightly different use cases or do you know the use cases but might have a slightly different industry? So it's one of those things where you've got to kind of look at it and balance and think, right, well, you know, what do they know and where can we kind of make this work? So it's it's really different from candidate to candidate. And again, it's super subjective and very singular. Um, but that's typically the stuff that I'll look for. But uh, from what I understood, the important thing is is to have uh, it to make it clear on CV what are the use cases you worked on. So then, when the recruiter uh, like you looks at the CV, it's immediately clear for them. Okay, these are things that the candidate worked on. Right? These are the projects. Yeah. That are the, the use cases. These are the industries. And then for you, it's immediately clear, okay, this candidate is a good fit or maybe this candidate uh, not necessarily a good fit, right? Um, yeah, sure. Okay. And then, uh, like, I also wanted to ask you about the design uh, because usually, like, uh, data scientists are not designers, right? And we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we don't spend a lot of time uh, using tools like Canva or Adobe Illustrator or whatever to come up with, uh, you know, an excellent uh, CV uh, like designers would do uh, and they wanted to ask you like yeah. what is it that you you look in design like like how a good design uh, looks like to you just curious yeah yeah um uh, so it doesn't have like i'm not saying that this has to be like super colorful and um you know uh you know it, it, it that's not necessarily what i'm saying from a design perspective but um what i am saying is it needs to be clear and so it just needs to look professionally clear right i know it's not a very good way to describe it but um you know some cvs are open and it's clearly just been you know there's been no thought in terms of kind of how to you know put that together and it's kind of just this, this is kind of everything i've done let's just throw that onto you know uh for uh sorry a word document and then just you know let's send that out so design again is subjective by it but uh, i also think it's very dependent on what kind of business you're applying for so if you're applying to an allianz or a munich re would i advise having a really colorful cool techie cv no um you know i'd say you need to professional you need to make that look professional to um you know kind of capture the audience that you're talking to right because again you know, the, the moment someone opens your CV, they are judging who you are. So if you don't fit the mold of the type of business that you're applying to, be that a startup or financial services or whatever, then that first couple of seconds, it needs to hit home with that individual business, right? And they need to think, mm -hmm. I, I think it's more of a kind of psychological thing, but they need to think, right, that's the type of view of us as a business. Mm -hmm. So I think the question that you need to ask yourself is what you're trying to portray to the people that you're you're trying to network with. You know, is it ultra professional banking, insurance, uh, corporate, which is fine. Like, you know, if you wanted to go that route, then then double down there. Or do you want to work with, um, you know, cool techie startups? You know, what's their kind of vibe in that kind of community, right? 
and you need to replicate that with the profiles that you've built. Um, I hope that gives you a little bit more color around the yeah. and design to, part. Yeah, and also as I understood, it's not only about like how you uh, choose colors, but also how you structure it. So it's not just a brain dump, right? You just sit down and list all the skills, like all the technologies you ever worked with, all the places of work, uh, like instead of just giving a brain dump, uh, just structure it, right? So it makes it easy for the receiver of this information to actually go through this and uh, understand this information, right? So it's not about yeah. colors. It's not about like these uh, beautiful shapes, but more like... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we have a question. We have a question from Bujar. I hope I pronounced the name correctly. Um, how often is too often changing jobs? Uh, what is the, the currently at the average time uh, that the person stays in a job? Like, what would be a red flag for you? Yeah, um, I think anything under a year is a red flag. Um, a year to two years in most companies is kind of about average now. Um, anything over a two-year period, I'm like, that's a good amount of time to spend in a, a company right now. <clears throat> um, but yeah, if it's... And it, it, it's, made, it's not necessarily about one thing that happens, right? So, um, you know, if you're, everyone can make mistakes. I've done it in the past and you join a business, it doesn't turn out to be what you think it is. Like, that's totally fine, right? Um, but if that's kind of a common theme across the experience you've got, so if you've had 12 roles in 12 years and they've been on average a, a year each, you know, for me, that says to me that you are, a, you, you don't like sticking in one place. Um, so yeah, as a headhunter, that is concerning because, you know, we, you know, the, the companies that we work with, they, you know, they want us to find people that are going to stay in the business, progress, all of that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, I'd say it's more about the consistency of how often you're moving. So if you had a really solid career and it was, you know, two, three years in most of the positions you had, but one position was, you know, your last position was three or four months, didn't work out, totally cool. But if it's that replicated across every role you've worked in, that that's a concern. Okay, understand. Okay, and um, there is also a question from Kanika. Uh, you mentioned that you look for a background in a specific industry, but what about freshers who don't have any background? Uh, like, do you also work with uh, junior candidates? Uh, uh, and uh, in in this case, uh, yeah, if you do, like, what do you look uh, for in uh, in junior candidates? So I think we were going to cover this a little bit later, but I'll, I'll dive into this now. Um, so I, I I do work a bit with um, more junior candidates. I wouldn't say that's my key focus, um, but I I do do that, um, and I think the the key for me when I look for junior candidates, and I think any candidate actually, um, is having purpose in their search. Um, I know it sounds a bit fluffy, but there are lots of candidates. <laughs> um, but there are lots of candidates that I open their CV and I, it literally looks super generic, like generic tech stack, generic kind of, overview generic backgrounds apply for anything not really any direction in terms of where they want to take their career so my thoughts if and you know my thoughts on this is if you're trying to break into the industry 
I think it's really difficult to go broad. Um, I think where you'll be most successful is if you pick something or if you pick an industry or if you pick a, um, an area of data science and machine learning that you're really passionate about and really doubling down on that. So taking autonomous driving uh, as an example, um, you know, if you're passionate about that industry, then do things to illustrate that, which would bolster your, uh, your profile and elevate you above the people that are kind of generic. So um, as a human being, I try and do, I try and live by aim small, um, sorry, aim small, miss small. Um, so for me, I'd, I'd pick an industry and think, right, what can I do alongside the technical skills and, you know, the experience I'm trying to gain? What can I do outside of all of that, that if someone opened my profile, even though you're junior or you're a fresher or, you know, whatever, they look at you and think, you're probably not there in seniority, but you definitely want to do this. Like, this is 100% what you want to do. So, you know, I'd start going to, um, you know, tech meetups i'd start going to conferences i'd start learning about the industry and start learning about it from a commercial and business perspective and all of this sort of stuff i would highlight in your profile so as someone opens it it's not just okay cool they know tensorflow and they know python and they know x which pretty much everyone knows you know you're setting yourself aside from the generic do anything kind of candidate so for me, if you're, a, um, if you're a junior and you're trying to break into an industry, find one or two industries that you're really, really interested in and bolster your profile around that industry, because that will give you a better chance of um, entering that industry. Yeah, so like you said, the, one of the first things you look at is the match between, uh, like industry match uh, between what your client is looking for and what is on the CV. And then for you, it... Uh, it if it's clear what the focus of a candidate is, even if it's a junior candidate, then it's already uh, like it already uh, the candidate already stands out from the from the rest of the candidates, right? Because it's clear yeah. that uh, this person really wants to work in this area, and which also happens to be the area of your client, right? Exactly, and you know, for me, I think that when people are clearly passionate about something. Um, maybe I look at this from too much of a human perspective, but I'm like, I want to try and help that person because they clearly want to do this. So, um, you know, for me, I, you know, ask any of the clients I've worked with, they'll always be in uh, an, an instance where I'll be like, hey, Alexi, I know this guy's too junior, but trust me on this. Like, this is the type of person that in a year or two years time will be an absolute superstar. And I don't think you get as many opportunities to do that as a candidate or get those opportunities for someone to represent you in that kind of way if you approach the market in like a really generic way and just like hey we'll do anything like spray and pray um you know for me you want people to believe in you <laughs> i know that again that is getting super cheesy and stuff but you know when i see someone that clearly wants to do something you know i'll go out of my way to try and help that person and think right this person in a couple of years will be amazing so you know, I'll, I'll try and my hardest to help that person do that. So, yeah, even at a junior level, um, you know, I'll still look for, okay, cool, what are you doing outside of your master's or what are you doing outside of your internships that promote your um, your profile in the industry or, or, or focus that you want to move into? Yeah, so I guess, uh, like, uh, if you really want to um, tailor your 
application to a specific uh, position, one thing you can do is, of course, you need to show that you really focus on this industry, you really like this industry. But is there anything else candidates can do to show that they're really interested in this position? Like, uh, uh, let's say somebody is uh, applying to a position online um, and they want to really make sure they get this position. What are the things they can do for that? Um, so I'll give you my PC way, the right way to do it, and then I would give you what I would personally do. As, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, um, so uh, most like companies will probably hate me saying stuff like this as well. So uh, we'll cover that off in a bit. But um, so number one, I think that, I, and again, I know this is simple, and probably some of your listeners are rolling your eyes now, but um, it, you absolutely need to read the job descriptions before you apply because it's not. <laughs> Uh, and I know that sounds really stupid and super simple, but the, when you're tailoring your application, you're not doing that to understand what they're looking for. You're doing that so you can apply your skills and outline how you can help them solve those problems, right? So uh, as a candidate or an applicant, you absolutely need to do some research before you apply to a business because Again, if you're blanket sending out your um, application and bearing in mind, right, so like what we said earlier, there are companies out there that are getting 1,300, maybe more applications for a role. So you've got two options, right? You can either throw your hat into that and hopefully something happens or you can think, right, as a business, what are the problems that this company is facing right now and what are their challenges? How does my experience and what I've done as an individual how does that link to that and how can you make the distinction between those two things so how do you start you know how you need to outline point b um outline point a you think right this is how those two things link so again this links back to what I was saying it's not just about um the industry or the use cases specifically it's about how can you link those two things together so First up, I would um, definitely outline the ch or try the, uh, as best as you can to outline the challenges and problems that that individual company is facing. Secondly, I would put together a, um, a, an email, LinkedIn, however you want to do it, but I would um, make it ultra-targeted um, and I would make it super relevant for the reader. So when you when that message lands with someone you want to take as much of the work off of their plate as possible so instead of them having to click into their into your cv and then trying to find that information i would be like right this is challenge a that you guys are facing right now this is what i've done that would solve that challenge challenge b this is what i've done challenge c this is what i've done because i think the more you can tailor that and make it very very specific for that application the more someone is going to open that and think, shit, this guy has really, or the girl has really taken the time to A, you know, do their research and B, it looks like they know what we're trying to do here, right? So for me, I'd put together those things. I'd make it ultra, ultra targeted. But thirdly, I would align your CV highlight these great problems for you you open their CV and it doesn't reflect what you're saying in that email. So 
you need to adjust your CV based on the conversations that you're trying to have with, um, you know, the clients that you're approaching. Because again, that is more, that's a representation of your skills and what you've done in the past, right? And if it doesn't link to that, they're going to say, okay, cool, you sent a great email, but actually what are you doing in your, you know, again, what are you actually doing in your experience, right? Um, and then lastly, I think you need to research and approach the right people in the business. Um, so, yeah, again, companies will hate me for saying this, but I personally wouldn't. I'm not going to say this actually, <laughs> but uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of throwing my hat into a thousand applications. That's not personally the way that I would do it. If I was going to try and approach a business, I would find the right people that I wanted to uh, talk to um, and I would approach them directly, but I wouldn't do it in a blanket way that's just going to piss people off. Because people know if you've taken the time to approach them with something valuable that's targeted, if you do that, you'll have a really great impression with that business. If you do it in a blanket way, a lot of the time it will be disregarded and it will just piss people off. So my, my thing is, if you're going to approach people directly, which I would, um, firstly, I would do it in a really targeted way that that person will know that you've taken the time to do that. Now, is everyone going to respond to you? Probably not. But the people that do and the people that appreciate that sort of stuff, will they'll be like a sponsor for you into the business. So to give an example, um, a friend of mine recently, um, he moved out of recruitment and into a, a, a software sales job. And um, the way that he approached it was he filmed himself uh, giving an overview of him as a human being and what he does and his experience and the value that he can bring to organizations. Um, but he reached out to um, sales directors within like, you know, big software um, uh, vendors like Domo, um, uh, who else did he reach out to? Salesforce, companies like that, right? Um, and he was like, look, this is what I do and this is why I'd love to work for you guys. But it was all super, ta like super targeted. So as the hiring managers opened all of these video CVs, they were like, this guy's taking the time to do this. And he had multiple companies come back to him and say, we've not seen anything like that before. Um, like, thank you for taking the time to do that. And he landed one of the jobs with one of those companies. And now that company uses his approach with the sales tactics that they have. So anyway, it's just an example that if you're going to approach people directly and do that, make it targeted. So when it lands with them, they can see you've put the time and effort into doing that. Yeah, but uh, I guess like if you want to, like you really need to focus on a few positions because uh, there is no way you can uh, do that for 10 or 20 positions. That's just too much time, right? So you really need to, pick an area where you want to focus and then find mm. the companies that you really want to work with and then mm. approach everyone individually, right? Yeah, and if but you, this, leans, um, this leans back onto what I was saying about having purpose in your mm -hmm. career, right? So if you can segment your purpose and say, let's take autonomous driving, for example, it's quite easy to break down all of the autonomous driving businesses in Germany, for example. So... You know, if you look at machine learning engineer, yeah, like how are you going to approach that? There's what, like 4,000 jobs in Germany right now. So yeah, where do you start with that? 
But if you say, right, I'm looking for AD startups or something in the autonomous drive space or on the secondary kind of level in Berlin, that's an easily digestible way that you can say, right, this is what I'm going to try and do. And this is the industry and the kind of the landscape that I'm trying to do it. Um, so, yeah, everything needs to kind of feed into one another, I think. Yeah, so we have a couple of questions on Slido. So uh, I'll... Um... Yeah, I think uh, we, we should, uh, maybe you'll like this. So uh, if somebody wants to change their career from academy to industry, uh, what can they do? Like, how can they uh, stand out? Like, how, how they can compete with people who already have experience in industry? Because usually, like, when, when you're hiring somebody, you already want to um, have somebody with experience, right? How can these people who just maybe graduated uh, got a PhD or worked in academia, how can they make this transition? Do you have any recommendations? Mm. Yeah, that is a really good question and something that people struggle with constantly. Um, just just for clarity, is this person talking about um, if they're coming from like a research role in one of the universities or are I they talking so, about yes. from... Yeah, so um, I think the biggest challenge that I find is that companies push back or the clients that I work with, they push back on the fact that the people that are coming from those research and academic positions don't have the product mindset that they need to be able to create, uh, to be able to do the positions. So what I mean by that is, you know, I'm speaking pretty broadly here and like, you know, tarring everyone with the same brush, but you know, a lot of the time they have a research for research, mindset um and they don't have that commercial business mindset and not from a business strategic perspective but they don't have that right we need to make shit happen and we need to actually do something rather than just research and we have all the time in the world and you know it it, it kind of comes down to that different mindset shift of moving out of cool we're doing academic research now and we really want to find like cool answers and we really want to do it for the research sake which is also extremely valuable v actually we're building this product to sell because any business that isn't that's not researching uh, you know academia they're there to make money right mm -hmm. and it's the difference in mindset between academic research to okay cool we're here to actually build a product to sell to people um so i think the mindset thing is the biggest um change or the biggest change you would need to make and would help you transition out of that so that internal narrative that you have about what you do you need to switch that from that piece to that piece um i, I can definitely help you with that so if you want to connect to me on linkedin i can talk you through that in more detail um but secondly, I think it's about, um, it's really difficult because if you've got an opportunity to do something internally at an academic institute to productionize something, do it. Because then you've got experience in actually productizing something. And, you know, there are people that I've worked with in the past that have done that in, you know, kind of small terms. So it's not just all research, but on top of that, I would start looking at personal projects about what you can do in the background to add on top of 
um, the research you're doing, I would think, right, well, what am I researching? How can I apply that in a real world scenario and do a personal project on it? Um, because then you're, again, that shows me commitment, right? Because they're saying, look, you know, I know that I hadn't had the production level experience, so this is what I've done to counteract that. Um, and then again, when you send your profile to someone, you need to highlight the connection between those two things. Um, so yeah, for me, I think the easiest thing you would do is uh, understand the mindset of the, the businesses that you're trying to apply for. <clears throat> and then secondly, start working on personal projects that would um, complement the research work that you've been doing. <clears throat> or find a project at university. Yeah, I know that some universities have collaboration with, comp with companies with the industry. And I think it's a really good idea to try to get in these uh, projects uh, and uh, learn from that. Um, yeah. uh, then we also have a question. Um, are there people that are really passionate about positions in advertisement or marketing? <laughs> it's, uh, it's not all. <laughs> Why does wanting a job for money make you a bad fit? A bad fit? Uh, it's actually two questions, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in one? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know, maybe. You know, maybe. Um, I, I'm just... You know, my, my perspective, it, so the people that I've seen really accelerate their career quickly and to high levels are the people that have real key focus. Um, there's nothing wrong with taking a job and, um, you know, focusing purely on the financial part. If that's your if that's your focus and that's your goal, go for it. Go and work for a McKinsey and work 90 hours a week. And, you know, that's where you're going to, you know, earn the most amount of money, right? So I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with doing the other side of that and just taking the job for financial benefits um but it's all subjective right and it depends on you as a human so um if you find something and again you know for me i'm looking at the people that i've seen be really successful and the profiles that i see and think shit they're brilliant it's because they've got key focus and even if that is marketing um you know there are going to be companies out there that will be like great that's exactly what we need so it's not necessarily all about the industry per se. It's about having your focus in terms of what, what you want to do. If that's financial, that's financial. If it's right, I want to progress my career. In my experience, the quickest way to do that is by having a focus, be that industry or, or area. Okay. I hope, does that answer your question? I hope it did. <laughs> yeah, I have a follow-up question for that. Uh, yeah, what is your opinion on people who you reach out and the first thing they ask is, hey, but what is the salary? Like, is it for you a red flag or uh, like it's a normal thing? How do you react to that? Um, you know what? I think I totally um, empathize with everyone that works in this industry because they're contacted every single day by hundreds of recruiters mm -hmm. with shit roles, paying shit salaries. Um, for me, I think it's fair play. Like, you know, do you want to waste your time having a conversation with someone if, number one, they can't pay the money that you, you need? Um, so for me, it's never a red flag because I appreciate how frustrating it must be from their side. Um, if the sole uh, focus on their new job search is financial, it does, that is a bit of a red flag to me personally because... Um, you're going to go where the money is and 
if another company is paying more money than the clients that I'm working with, that's a big concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, like, you know, there's a lot of debate in the recruitment world um, about how much information you should share in the first approach. And I'm on the, I'm on the side of, um, I'll give you the job specs, the client names, salaries, whatever you need to be able to make an accurate decision on, should we have a conversation? I'll, I'll give you that information because I don't think you can tell being an honest business if someone asks you a question and you, you don't answer it. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, you know, it's not a red flag. I think, it's, I think that stems from a lot of wasted time uh, by shit recruiters. It's actually like 90% of uh, recruiters, in my experience, when I ask them, hey, what, what is the company? They don't answer. So this is uh, like what you're doing is clearly different from the rest of uh, external recruiters. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Um, I think uh, the only reason why they do that as well, Alexi, is because even, and again, this just highlights how much of a bad in- industry recruitment can be sometimes is that people will put together fake profiles of fake candidates um, to extract leads from recruiters that will share that information, right? Um, but in my career, I don't think I've ever, not once, had a candidate. And they also say that, oh, well, you could apply directly for the business um, and, uh, and cut me out of it kind of thing. In my career, I've never, ever had that. So that's never, ever been a situation that I've experienced. Okay. Yeah. So there is. We also have a question from Kistella um, about uh, CV styles. Um, she grew up in Germany and lived in the US, and she sees that the styles of uh, CVs are different. Uh, in your experience, like how different, um, like CVs that you're getting, like are they vastly different, or maybe they, they most of them follow the same structure? Um, yeah. Um... Germany's got a very distinct style in terms of the the kind of classical profile. Um, yeah, it's pretty, there, there's a lot of that. Um, I think the ones that really stand out for me are the ones that are uh, unique um, and they take the time to think, oh, actually, well, this is a representation of me. So yeah, and uh, there have definitely been times in the past where someone says, oh, what do you think about this? Because this is how you should do it in Germany. And I was think, well, like, why? Okay. Like, uh, who, who are the people that are managing the kind of German uh, CV format? Like, you know, I, I think personally, it should be a personal representation of you. So it should be a personal thing. Um, so yeah, um, there is, but uh, I would definitely go against it. Yeah. And uh, also I have a related question. Um, because in the states, um, usually the focus, like they really, I think it's every uh, blog post that you read, uh, they say your CV has to be one page long, not more. Yeah. Like one page for ten years of experience. But in Germany, I've seen uh, like CVs that are five pages long, six pages long, and uh, yeah, sometimes I saw a CV recently ten pages long with uh, you know like it felt like a novel. Um, <laughs> what is your opinion? Like how long a CV should be? Yeah. Um, so I think like the ideal length is two pages. Um, I, I honestly don't think you can get enough content on one page to make okay. it sing. Um, I think three pages is like borderline too much, but I think two pages is kind of like ideal because that's kind of the balance between having enough content, deep content, 
that will give me context to what you do, but also limit you in terms of war and peace, right? So I think two pages is kind of the ideal number. But, you know, again, I think if you can keep someone's attention for five pages, then awesome. But nine times out of 10, there's a lot of content in there that's kind of irrelevant and it's just kind of like overload, right? Um, so yeah, for me, um, I would say that two pages are like okay. the dream. Yeah, so it keeps you focused, but also doesn't let you, you know, just brain dump and... Uh, uh. Yeah. Do you have... Uh... Uh, five ten more minutes we have, we have got like, the time in the world we have four more questions um so nishant is asking um is it okay to write a job a job title in cv that uh, more closely represent uh, uh, the work they are doing instead of you know putting the official title because i know from my experience i know some companies put manager in the role uh, just for the sake, I don't know why they do this, but often like uh, I don't know, analytics manager and that person doesn't manage any uh, any other people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is it okay if these people, let's say, instead of putting analytics manager, put data analyst in their CV? Like it's not the official mm -hmm. title that they have, um, but maybe it follows uh, the industry trends uh, rather than uh, like a particular job grid, uh, job description in a company? Yeah. Um, personally, I think it is, but as long as you're not lying about mm -hmm. what you're doing. So, for example, is it okay to write um, a software engineer if your job title is software developer? Um, you know, I think that that's okay. Is it okay to write C, uh, lead software engineer if you're like a junior? You know, that's not okay, right? Okay. Um, so I think... Um, I think it's okay to align it, but as long as it is not so far past reality that it could be considered a lie. So, you know, if you are doing those things, but your job title is slightly off and you're applying for a data science position um, and, you know, your job title is, I don't know, um, I don't know, something <laughs> um, that isn't that, then, you know, for me, it's okay to slightly adjust it to, you know, hit the mark. But yeah, not at the extent of lying. I don't think you should ever lie on a CV, um, but I do think you should align on your CV. Um, if previous commercial experience in a field loosely related to data science or machine learning, is it advantage or drawback? Asking as someone who wants to switch from web developer uh, to machine learning. Uh... You could you could probably give a better answer to that, but um, I think the um, I'm not I'm not too knowledgeable in the kind of like web dev to uh, data science field. I think anyone who comes from a programming background in general, if you move into data science, I do think that that gives you a good platform to be able to learn programming and engineering as a whole so i think that there's definitely crossover and if you've got more appreciation for the wider parts of um the organization that you would have interaction with so like ux and ui and that kind of piece then yeah like it you know it's never going to do any harm um is it going to be directly relatable so I, I think what you're asking is you know would i look at someone who's come from that background and think wow that's great um 
I wouldn't, but what I would think is that's good because you've you've probably got a good foundation to learn from. So as long as the, um, you know, what you do on top of that is a good, um, uh, you know, from an educational standpoint, you've taken the time to kind of learn, uh, you know, the other areas in depth, um, you know, then I think it is always a good, uh, always a good thing. But I don't think that that will be the thing that will get you the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I also, I would add that it's not neither advantage or drawback. It's uh, like uh, it's a good thing, but not uh, the, like you said. It's not the thing that will get you a job, right? Mm -hmm. um, then uh, Gunjan, I hope. Uh, sorry if I uh, pronounce it incorrectly. Is asking: Is it okay to tell recruiters about other companies you're currently interviewing with? Uh, depends on the recruiter. Um, you know, yeah, it, it depends on the recruiter. Um, so for example, uh, like, you know, the reason, the reason why a lot of companies do that is because they want to extract information from you to be able to, uh, a gauge, you know, where you're at with things. So for example, if you're, if you're interviewing with me, at a company that I work with and your other companies are Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Netflix, and you're interviewing with my company, who's got three people in Hamburg, uh, what's the likelihood of you taking that position is probably quite low. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but on the other side of that, the old school way of recruitment is that if you tell me when you're interviewing, I'll, uh, not me personally, but I would try and go and get those jobs as clients. Um, so again, I think it very much depends on the recruiter that you're working with and how much you trust that individual. If you think he wouldn't do that to me um, or she wouldn't do that to me, then uh, yeah, if you've got a good relationship there, then like there's no reason why you shouldn't if you know, because then you can kind of discuss everything and you can kind of set the landscape about where you're at with things. And I always believe that being open and transparent is the best thing you can do. If it's a new recruiter off the block who's just called you and said, hey, like, yeah, I've got this job, where else are you interviewing? Definitely not. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole recruitment industry is like shaking their head at me now and thinking I'm a complete dick. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, yeah, I never thought about this, that uh, there are multiple reasons for asking this question and also one of these uh, one of the reasons is actually just going and approaching the company uh, yeah. to, to offer their services mm. interesting. yeah um, how impactful asking salary uh, is in the application uh, process like is it uh, uh, like if somebody is asking a too low number does it reflect uh, lack of confidence so, or lack of uh, um, lack of confidence in a skill set or uh, maybe just uh, shows that uh, this candidate doesn't know maybe market well enough or what do you think about this like if somebody is asking or a number too low too high uh... um too low you know i've never as a person I, I if someone says to me that they're you know if someone gave me a salary and it's 10k under kind of what i would classify as market mm -hmm. um right I'd never put that down to confidence or I, I've never said, oh, they must be slightly 
not confident in their abilities mm-hmm. or something like that. My first go-to is, oh, they're, they're underpaid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily bad going too low. I don't think that's going to have a, a negative um, reaction to your job search if, you, if you're under the market value. Um, I guess it depends on how you frame that, right? Um, like if you say, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm only worth this, then yeah, that's going to come down to a, a confidence issue. Mm-hmm. Um, if it just turns out that you work for a business that has, um, you know, maybe helped like ask you to relocate into Germany and now you're uh, paid less than what, you know, you know, people in the country would be paid uh, or, you know, if you've joined the grad scheme and you've worked your way up, you know, there are going to be lots of different situations for that. Um, I don't think, I'm kind of in two minds about the salary thing right now because um originally in my recruitment career i always wanted to know what people were on now i'm a little bit more um mature and uh, i don't typically i talk about it but i'm not like you know i'm not like right what do you earn right now um if they want to share that information with me cool but for me i just want to understand what they want from their next you know their next role and their next salary so um, yeah, I don't think it would have a negative connotation. I do think it's a negative thing if you ask for too much, um, because then my instant go-to is, oh, you're, that's, you know, you're just trying to, you know, you're just trying to get like tons more money, and it's that's the kind of main focus, right? Um, and you know, I think in the data science and machine learning and AI community right now, there are lots of opportunity for good people to earn a lot of money um but if i see someone who's got six months experience say yeah cool i want 120k then i'm like hey like you know cool but you're not quite there yet um so i think it's more negative from the other side lower is especially if you're still learning the industry and you're still learning the role you know i don't think it's a negative thing at all okay thanks so we don't have uh any more questions and uh, we are uh, a bit over time so just uh, maybe to summarize our conversation um, uh, what is in your opinion what makes some candidates really stand out mm. um so i thought about this for a while and um the two things that for me i think there's one one thing that really makes candidates stand out to me and it's understanding their purpose and doubling down on that. Um, and I think once you do that, everything else becomes easy. Um, but I think if you don't have that and you kind of, you're dictated by the market and, you know, it's just, I'm going to get a job here and then hopefully I'll get one here. And, you know, it's kind of just a, a hope that something happens. You know, the candidates that really stand out or looking back at the people that I've worked with, the candidates that I'm like, they are mustard, are the ones that have worked in one, pretty much one industry, but they've just nailed it. And it's kind of just like inch wide, mile deep. And that is, that's their focus. That's their focus. That's their focus. Um, So, yeah, in terms of what I think makes candidates really stand out is having purpose and really working towards that. And that's that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for 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 coming to this event for sharing your uh, knowledge and uh, expertise with us. Thanks, Luke. No uh, worries. It's a pleasure. 
Yeah, so how did it feel being on uh, the other side, uh, like being a guest in a podcast? Do you know what I really liked? I love the questions. I think it's really good. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, I'll be honest, it was a bit nervous because this is the first time I've been a guest, right? So uh, definitely nerve-wracking um, because, you know, you want to say stuff that people get um, value from, right? And you don't want to come here and say, oh, I will, you know, make sure that, you know, your font is size 10 or some shit like that. You know, you want to make sure that people can take this sort of stuff and then actually do it and it actually has impact. So, yeah, um, I hope, what, how, how do you feel like it went? Was that good or not so good? <laughs> it was great. Yeah, I'm still recording, by the way. It's okay. Uh, it's cool. <laughs> Mate, vulnerability is a, a good skill to have, I think. <laughs> yep. Well, I guess uh, that's all for today. So thanks a lot for coming again. Um, yeah, so um, I'll share the links on YouTube and everywhere soon. So, yeah. Great, awesome. Um, if there's anyone listening who want to send me direct messages, please connect to me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to look over your CV, give you any advice that you need um, and help you direct mm -hmm. what you're trying to do. So uh, yeah, if anyone needs anything, then please connect to me on LinkedIn. I'll make sure to put your LinkedIn account, the link to your LinkedIn account in the, the show notes. Okay. Awesome. Yes. Uh, check uh, out the, look, check oh. out the chat. People love you. Okay. Oh, yeah? <laughs> people love you so oh, <laughs> you're going to get a lot of LinkedIn requests oh, oh, I'm back on um... mute I'm back on mute <laughs> awesome good good um, alright well, um, yeah I guess that's it man so uh, yeah if you need anything from me let me know Alexi. yes goodbye awesome man speak to you soon